Barack Obama's turning 60 years old. I'm sure you've heard it by now, and he's going to be hosting a super spreader event at his sprawling Martha Vineyard's, Martha's Vineyard estate. I believe it's a $12 million house. Now, of course, some of you may be wondering, how does a mediocre, short-term college professor who was once a community activist, who then was a short-term junior senator from Illinois, who served as president of the United States for four years, making a salary of less than $300,000 a year. How does such a man earn such a fortune and afford to buy a $12 million estate in Martha's Vineyard? That's just one home, by the way. Let's not forget the other mansion he owns in Washington, D.C. Well, of course, we know the answer to that. Liberals, Democrats, they go into office, well, in some cases still rich by national standards, whether they're worth a million dollars or two million dollars, but they don't earn their living like the rest of us. They don't invent anything, create anything, They don't create jobs, certainly, and improve the economy. No, they do their time. They do their duty to the Marxists in this country, the communists in this country, to tear it down, to further the leftist totalitarian agenda, and then they are rewarded handsomely upon destroying the United States and become multi, multi, multi millionaires. That's how they do it, folks. That's how they do it. But Barack Obama's hosting a super spreader event to celebrate his 60th birthday. I believe upon my last reading, it was around 600 to 700 guests that are going to be there. That's right. It is a super spreader event. I mean, the media, of course, isn't reporting it that way, but you and I know this is a super spreader event. I mean, if you listen to the media, Dr. Fauci and the rest, and we're back We're back in March of 2020. We're in the throes of a pandemic again. The pandemic that never ends. The pandemic, the the endless war against COVID. Just like Vietnam and everything else. Another war that cannot be won. Will not be won. Because, well, suddenly in America, well, you know, we used to make rational common sense decisions to avoid death. But since March of 2020 with COVID, we now make irrational, insane decisions to avoid living. That's really where we are. And so Barack Obama is going to celebrate his 60 years on this earth with a super spreader event. You won't find that headline anywhere. There's moderate attempts by CNN and the leftist media to say, you know, there are some concerns, but of course they bend over backwards to say that Barack Obama, of course, is responsible. He's taking every precaution necessary. People are going to be tested. Most have been vaccinated, hopefully. Uh, So it's okay. But of course, this is the exact same circumstance that we're in. When Donald Trump held what they call the super spreader event, that is when he held an event outdoors, an outdoor event, open air, 
in the Rose Garden. I believe that was in October of 2020. It was to celebrate, of course, um, Amy Coney Barrett. Well, her being put on the Supreme Court. And when he held that outdoor event, the coverage was, of course, much different. But you won't hear this about Barack Obama. No, no, no. He's a deity among men. He's a celebrated leftist, and he can do no wrong. He would never be treated the same way. He gets a pass. But I want to remind you what they said about Donald Trump when he held the open-air event, which fulfills the exact same safety precautions, those safety precautions being heralded that are going to take place at the Obama super spreader event. Everything else is the same, just the way they cover it is different as usual. It makes you want to throw up, doesn't it? But let's hear what Fauci said and then what the media said about Trump's outdoor Rose Garden event. The data speak for themselves. We had a super spreader event in the White House, and it was in a situation where people were crowded together and were not wearing masks. Now, I want to pause there and just step back and provide some context for this event. So the, uh, that was Fauci, of course, speaking, calling it a super spreader event, saying the data speaks, speaks for itself. Well, 11 people tested positive for COVID after that Rose Garden event in which 200 people were in attendance. And the media said few practice social distancing guidelines and few wear masks. Now, do you think, by the way, that social distancing will be enacted and practiced six feet between each person at this 600 or 700 person extravaganza for Barack Obama's 60th birthday celebration? Do you think they're all going to wear masks as they listen to a concert? and dance and drink and eat like kings and queens? Of course they won't. And the media won't care, and the media won't be there to monitor, photograph, film, etc. But now I want to get into the coverage from the news. So this is about Trump's 200-person event at the Rose Garden. Here's what they said about it. What you're looking at is the origins of a likely super spreader event. At least eight people, including President Donald Trump himself, are now infected. And that is among those who have had the ability to actually get tested. You can't see the virus, but what is happening during a super spreading event? You know, it's a very rough analogy, but if we think of a campfire and say that that's a person who is infected and releasing virus, it's not like it's the ring around the person that is actually going to be the, the risk. It's those that are on the side where more of the virus is being projected, either through being talking or through the breeze, the air that's blowing it there. Have you ever heard such garbage in your life? Such unscientific, non-data-driven, moronic speech from a hand-picked, cherry-picked doctor to come and say whatever needs to be said, making some stupid analogy to a campfire. Now, Donald Trump had just recovered from COVID, this was right after his bout with COVID in which he was hospitalized. And Donald Trump wasn't mingling with everyone. He was actually speaking from a podium, you know, well over six feet away from any of those guests in attendance. And they're trying to suggest and go out of their way to suggest that, well, the wind, you know, the wind could have picked up that virus and blown it into the crowd and gotten everyone sick and whatever else. I mean, 
This is such insanity what these people are saying. And of course, does anyone doubt that the breeze might be blowing at Martha's Vineyard at this time of the year? That like a campfire, it could be picked up and carried on to people at this 700-person, 600-person event, the celebration of Barack Obama? Of course not. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I just want to read this from CNN. All right, this is their coverage of the forthcoming super spreader event. Former President Barack Obama will celebrate his 60th birthday this weekend with a party in Martha's Vineyard with many COVID-19 safety protocols in place amid heightened concerns over the Delta variants. The event this weekend, which will be held outside, see, look, there they go, it'll be held outside, no problem, will follow all U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention public health protocols, the source said. There will be testing for guests and a COVID safety coordinator on site. The CDC has only recommended mask wearing indoors for areas of high and substantial transmission, which includes nearly two-thirds of all U.S. counties. Well, these, these people, 600, 700 people, are coming from all over the country, if not all over the world. It doesn't matter what the transmission rate is in the county. They're bringing in the virus from all over this country. So that in itself is a stupid cover-up for what's going to take place at Barack Obama's birthday, is it not? But anyway, let's just continue. Okay, there's really no point. I just wanted to get in what Jen Psaki said. That lays some groundwork for you, but White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, I'm not going to make you listen to her voice because it's painful, just like Barack Obama. So I avoid at all costs when I don't have to playing the audio. But Jen Psaki defended Obama's party on Monday, insisting during a press briefing that the former president's team had numerous safety protocols in place for the event, noting that Obama, quotation mark, has been a huge advocate of individuals getting vaccinated. What does that have to do with anything? Obama's an advocate of getting vaccinated? And of course, now we know the vaccine, these are not, these breakthrough cases are not exceedingly rare, as people are saying. We just had reported, for example, that the loser Lindsey Graham, Republican Lindsey Graham, well, he's been vaccinated and he tested positive for COVID. And despite testing positive for COVID, he attended an event on a boathouse party that Democrat Senator Manchin just held. And of course, we had the six well, the six COVID-positive Democrat legislators out of Texas who infected the White House when they fled Texas on a private jet, a fully vaccinated, a plane of fully vaccinated Democrats who then caused a super spreading event at the White House. But when they were asked about how many people were infected at the White House, Jen Psaki wouldn't say. She refused to disclose how many people had come down with COVID, although we knew that these, these fully vaccinated individuals, Democrats, had certainly infected certain people around Nancy Pelosi and so on and so forth. But it was verboten to ask that question and to get an answer. And the truth is, I don't give a rat's you-know-what if Barack Obama has 600,000 people at his birthday party. That would be the sane answer. This fool can do whatever he wants. 
because the virus is here, and the truth is there's nothing you can do about it. People are going to get infected. There are going to be breakthrough cases, and it's going to happen, and it's going to happen forever. It happened when Trump had his event, and now we have three vaccines, and it's still happening. Are we going to get a report after Barack Obama's super spreader event about how many people test positive for COVID after that? Of course not, but I guarantee you it'll be more than 11 people. But they'll somehow herald it after it's done, if they say anything about it at all, by the way, that nobody's tested positive for COVID. I mean, they'll say and do whatever they need to, do, need to say or do to protect Barack Obama and his event. He can have his event. You know what? You know what makes me insane about this? Well, of course it's liberal Democrat privilege. Barack Obama can sit here and have 600, 700 people at a birthday party, no problem. And he's not accused of being, um, well, a murderer or irresponsible or anything else. He's being defended as being responsible because he's promoted vaccines. He's being promoted as being responsible because, well, there'll be a COVID coordinator there, of course. So, well, that's the best you can do. But I just, you know, my, um, I just had to visit the Apple store today. And it's such a pain in the rear these days. I mean, they're understaffed because they can't hire enough people. This is in, in California where I am. I had to go into Santa Rosa. I live in the Napa Valley. The closest Apple store to me is Santa Rosa. Well, this morning I was preparing to do this podcast. I was geared up. I was excited to go. I was ready to hit it like I'm doing now. And my computer conked out. It stopped working. I bought it in 2017. And apparently parts were broken. I went, so anyway, I made an appointment to go to the Genius Bar. met with the Genius Bar. And first they tell me, you know, well, we can back it up, but, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a problem with, with your computer itself. And we can, you can probably trade this in and get $500 towards a new computer. So I said, great, let's do that. And then, of course, they come back and they say, well, sorry, we can't actually credit you $500 because there seems to be parts that are problematic. And when that happens... Uh, we no longer offer any money for it. So I said, fine, you know what, whatever. Um, look, I just, I need to buy a new computer. And then I go to, to talk to someone who checked me in for the Genius Bar. And I tell her, look, I need to buy some things. I need to buy a new computer. And she said, well, do you have an appointment, a purchasing appointment? I said, no, I don't have a purchasing appointment. And so we, we, we went around for a minute. And she said, well, do, do you know what you want to buy? I said, yes, I know what I need to buy. She said, okay, we well, can go over here to Bill or whatever his name is. And he can check you out. So anyway, I go in there to look at my computer, and I walk out spending, doesn't matter, over $1,000, right, to buy a new computer. So here I am. But the thing that got me, I walk into this, it was in a mall, and, and everyone is wearing a mask. I was the only one walking through that mall with no mask on my face. You know, like a, like a leper walking through. And I didn't encounter any security guards on my way in, fortunately. But when I did get in the Apple store, they said, Sir, 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 sorry, you, you can't come in here without a mask. I said, okay, okay, I don't have a mask. Do you have any extra masks? She said, yeah, I've got a box right here. So I reluctantly just put the mask on my face to get this done so I could come back home and do what I'm doing right now. And of course, on my way out of the store, I took the stupid mask off my face, which does nothing. It's such a joke. And... Well, two other people didn't have masks. They were walking into the store, and some security guards approached and, and, you know, well, stopped them as I made my getaway 
And I heard them saying, ah, oh, you can't be in this mall without masks on your face. I mean, this is how insane it is now. A week ago, it's fine. Now the CDC makes some new stupid recommendation that's anti-science. The vaccinated have to wear masks. And now everyone's wearing masks again. I mean, this is the bigger problem than even the federal government or state and local governments. It's these, these individuals, and we'll get into the corporation, that component of it all, in a, in, a, in a minute, that are trying to do what the federal government has yet to convince the American people that they have the constitutional authority to do, which is a national mask mandate and, and, and forced vaccinations. But anyway, I just shake my head at this. I mean, within a week, you know, it's like, it's, like not, it's like nothing's changed. It's like this virus just started again. Everyone's just going along. It defies reality, defies logic. We know, of course, I mean, when Florida reopened, I talk about this every time. You know, they reopened their economy. They got rid of the mask mandate. California, where I live, doubled down. And cases dropped in Florida, and they rose in California. So that in itself tells you pretty clearly that masks don't work. They've never worked. And so here I am going into an Apple store, being forced to wear a stupid mask on my face to spend over a grand. And Barack Obama, they're not going to be wearing masks, I guarantee you. I mean, every time you look, these people, these Democrats who are telling us to wear masks aren't wearing masks themselves. They don't believe it. They've never been scared of it. They know it doesn't work because if they were so frightened, they would actually be following the mandates that they are putting on we the people. And that's really what this comes down to. It's all about control. It's all about fear. And the reason they're doing it is it's, it's not the only weapon they have, but it's one weapon they have to seize control of this country in perpetuity to create their utopia, their, their totalitarian Marxist utopia, communist utopia in America. They saw how effective it was seizing our rights and us also willingly giving up our rights in the name of public health, and they're not going to let that go because it's given them everything they've tried to achieve for decades and over in just a year. And they need it for mail-in ballots. That's what it comes down to. And what I'm very curious about, by the way, is living in California, we've got a recall election coming up to get rid of Gavin Newsom. And I don't expect... My, here's my prediction on this. Gavin Newsom, I don't believe, will institute mandate lockdowns statewide. He's not going to do it. It's too politically damaging. But what he's going to do is not too different because all they need is massive mail-in ballots, right? I mean, look, to go back, you know, they don't need lockdowns to get the mail-in ballots. They just need an excuse to conduct elections in California and in the future like they did in 2020. Because remember, just a few days before the November 6th actual, you know, general election there, the CDC changed their, their advice again, right? They were saying it's not safe to go in and vote. It's a super spreader event, basically, right? 
And then when they started to fear that Democrats might not get to the polls, those that didn't send in mail-in ballots, they didn't want to lose out on those votes. Well, they said, okay, now it's safe to go and vote. Just wear a mask. And so mail-in ballots are really what this is all about. It's not solely what it's about, but politically speaking, in terms of elections, it's what it's about. I mean, it won't matter in the future if they could get the S-1 for the People Act to federalize elections, then they wouldn't have to do all this crap. But they're doing this right now. They need to keep this fear porn campaign alive because they need mail-in ballots again going forward. That's what this really comes down to. All right, it's about power. Everything they do is about power. But anyway, I'm going to take a short break here. And um, when we get back, we're going to get into um, January 6th again, this, this phony committee. Because Kensinger, well, he revealed something that we need to get into, which is about the subpoenas, all right? They want to bring, they want to bring President Trump back in, and they want to question him again, and try and destroy him, well, another attempt at that. But anyway, this is Drew Allen, and we're going to be right back. This is Drew Allen, we're back. Well, before I get into Kinzinger and give you an update on this phony January 6th insurrection commission, you know, I want to talk, I, I, I've got to, I've, well, I've got to continue talking about Barack Obama's birthday party, because there's some, there's another element to this that I would be remiss not to talk about because it is illuminating into the minds of Democrats and how they operate. They are perpetual victims and they are so, so selfish. Sorry, my phone's going off like crazy. I'm just such an important guy. Anyway, Valerie Jarrett, all right? BFF of Barack Obama. Well, she sends this tweet uh, earlier today, okay? Here's the tweet, and then I'll explain. My dear friend, at Barack Obama, is turning 60 tomorrow. For his birthday gift, I'm asking you to chip in $6 or $60 to help us bring the Obama Presidential Center to life in Chicago. So, what kind of individual uses their birthday celebration to enrich themselves? I mean, honestly, this, this birthday celebration isn't just a birthday celebration to say, hey, come and have a good time. There's always a caveat. It's help enrich me. Help get my presidential center for life in Chicago funded. I mean, Every opportunity that these Democrats have. I mean, never mind the fact that the Obamas are worth, I don't know if it's $50 million or $60 million today. They, they won't reach into their own pockets to pay for anything. They need the American people and others to continue to give them money. It's like the Clintons and their phony Clinton Foundation. in which they demand people funnel money into their phony, non-profit charity, and then they just take the money and use it for themselves. Here you have the Obamas again. It's almost like a fundraising event for themselves and their library. 
And that's probably what's happening at this birthday party. These 600, 700 guests who, well, they're the ones. I'm sure Netflix CEO will be there and God knows who else who've enriched the Obamas. Well, come to my birthday party so I can talk to you about how to give me more money. How you can fund my presidential center. I mean, these people think they're owed something. And liberals, by the way, are the least generous people in America. And that goes back to the victim mentality. They're owed something. They'll never pay to do anything else for anybody else. No, no, no. They'll demand that you sacrifice, that you give money. But God forbid the liberal actually reaches into their own wallet to do what they're asking everyone else to do and support. Like climate change, right? And COVID in this example. Let's just look at this with COVID. I mean, amidst all the fear-mongering that's happening at present in America to continue this, this sham to keep the possibility of lockdown in place and to scare the American people about COVID, well, what is the most responsible thing that Barack Obama could do? If it's true, what Fauci and the CDC and all the fear-mongers are saying about how the Delta variant is so deadly and so scary and so frightful, masks have to come back in place. I mean, they are acting at this moment like it's the height of COVID, like there's no vaccines, like we're back a year ago. And Obama is throwing a 600, 700-person birthday party. Despite all the information about how well, I'll give you an example. In Israel, you know, I think more than 70% now are vaccinated. And the majority of the cases, the COVID positive cases are amongst the vaccinated. And so if we're going to walk the walk, the right thing to do here for Barack Obama is to cancel his birthday party. It's absolutely irresponsible. But this is what's sick about the society we live in. There's rules for us and rules for them. They won't interrupt their own lives. They'll demand that we interrupt ours. Their lives continue without any kind of change whatsoever. They continue to live freely, richly, uninhibited, but no, no. You know, if Donald Trump was having a birthday party, for example, with 600, 700 people, they'd say it's a super spreader event. And that's what's so repulsive and disgusting about all of this. You know, we're peasants. That's kind of what this comes down to. You know? And while inflation rises and the economy continues to be threatened, oh, yeah, 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 just give whatever you have in your wallet to the Obamas to help build their dream of this presidential library where, well, his disastrous presidency can be enshrined for all of history. But anyway, let's get into uh, Kinzinger here, I guess, for a minute. And we're going to have to come back to COVID because I want to talk about a piece I wrote recently about this. Hold on, let me find this piece. Deedly deed. Stay with me, folks. All right. Here's the headline. This is from Politico, a left 
wing outlet. Kinzinger. Significant amount of subpoenas likely in January 6th probe. Representative Adam Kinzinger on Sunday indicated the Select House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol would use its subpoena power to compel a lot of people to testify. I would expect to see a significant amount of subpoenas, the Illinois Republican said on ABC's This Week. It's going to be a thorough investigation for sure, he added. Kinzinger, who along with Representative Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming, is serving on the committee to the frustration of many in their own party. Wouldn't go into further details on who the panel could subpoena, but said, we want to do this expeditiously. What led up to it? What really happened? And what happened in the aftermath? On the potential for subpoenaing, prominent Republicans, including former President Donald Trump, and those who spoke to him on January 6th, such as House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, Kinzinger said, I would support subpoenas to anyone that can shed light on that. If that's the leader, that's the leader. I want to know what the president was doing every moment that day. I want to know if the National Guard took five or six hours to get to Capitol Hill. Did the president make calls? If he didn't, why? If anybody is scared of this investigation, I ask you, what are you afraid of? If you, th- if you think it wasn't a big deal, You should allow this to go forward. We may not have to talk to Donald Trump. If he has unique information, that's one thing. There's a lot of people around him that know something. So this is what this has been about from the beginning. The left and rhinos like Kinzinger, who care nothing, have no morals whatsoever, who just want to be in the Washington, D.C. establishment country club, and go on CNN and ABC and get their five minutes of fame, well, they care nothing about the truth. They just care about themselves. They care about how they're treated. They care about Nancy Pelosi slapping, on the, slapping them on the AWS. Attaboy, Kinzinger. Way to join the cause to destroy democracy in America. I mean, they already had an impeachment, the second impeachment of Donald Trump about January 6th, and it failed. But that's not good enough. They have to go after him until they get what they want. And what they want is jail time for Donald Trump. And if they can't get jail time, they want to make sure that he is politically damaged beyond repair. Because they fear Donald Trump and they fear you and me. Because we still exist and they know what they did in January, in, in, sorry, in 2020. Yeah, January 2022 when they, well, the Republicans, spineless Republicans certified the election results despite everything we know. But what's amazing about this is they continue to accuse Trump of everything under the sun, and he's never guilty of any of it. It's all invented and fabricated. I'll give you an example here. Here's a headline. You remember all the talk, by the way, before I read the headline, about how Donald Trump, we've got to see his tax returns. And now, of course, the DOJ is coming to get the tax returns. They're a political arm of the Biden administration. They care nothing for laws and legality. They're just going to continue just like this phony commission. You know, the truth be damned. Legality be damned. We're going to get what we want, and that's absolute power. Well, so they always talk about Trump's tax returns. We've got to see Trump's tax returns because he's hiding something. 
Well, here's a headline. Chicago owes Trump $1 million tax refund. State's attorney mounts legal challenge. So the state, the city of Chicago actually owes Trump a, federal, a, a refund in that state of $1 million. So this is hilarious because they accuse Trump constantly of cheating. And here we have a, a, a prominent example of them actually owing Trump money. He's actually overpaid in taxes. Do you realize that Trump is the cleanest human being on the face of the earth? Truthfully. Truthfully. This is from The Hill. The Cook County, that's where Chicago is in Illinois, the Cook County state's attorney is seeking to block a $1 million tax refund that the Illinois Property Tax Appeal Board ruled is owed to former President Trump on his Chicago skyscrapers 2011 tax bill. Do you realize how insidious and sick these people are? They actually owe him legally a million dollars, and yet the state attorney in Cook County is stepping in trying to block him getting that tax refund. That would be the law. That is what he is owed. But because it's Trump, they're going to do everything they can well, to block him getting what he is owed. According to the Chicago Sun-Times, the office of Cook County State's attorney Kimberly Fox. Kimberly Fox. This is the same person, by the way, that obstructed and inter- intervened in the juicy Jesse Smollett case. Remember Jesse? He's the guy who hired a couple of black Nigerians to assault him. And he sent, him, he sent himself uh, death threats and hate, email, hate mail about being black so that he could, I don't know, become some hero to the left and push their agenda forward. Well, Kimberly Fox is the one who's corrupt and basically got him off with not even a slap on the wrist. He was exonerated completely. Jesse Smollett. Well, anyway, this same woman, Kimberly Fox, filed a lawsuit this month with the Illinois Appellate Court against the refund, stating that the former president's refund would take away taxpayer dollars from Chicago public schools and other agencies to pay for it. So this logic is essentially a continuation of what the left professes anyway. Steal from the rich. The rich have too much. They've taken from us. He didn't take anything. He paid his taxes, and in fact, he overpaid by a million dollars on this particular Chicago skyscraper. And yet she doesn't want to give him back his refund because she, in her mind, her sick, twisted mind, is saying that that's taking away from Chicago public schools. Well, the Chicago public schools, by the way, could do with less money. In fact, they should be wiped out of existence for their indoctrination and their lack of ability to teach the children in Chicago anything because the illiteracy rate is through the roof, just like it is in Washington, D.C. So last month, the state property tax board voted five to zero that the value of the Trump International Hotel and Tower had been overassessed, thus leaving Trump eligible for a refund totaling $1.03 million. This is another bombshell story that will get no media attention. I mean, the tax board voted unanimously that the Trump International Hotel and Tower was overassessed. They overassessed it, and he's owed a million dollars, $1.03 million, and they won't give him his money back? 
That in itself is another sign of the totalitarianism afflicting this country. I mean, it's mob rule. Meanwhile, Barack Obama is asking that people donate via Valerie Jarrett, which might as well be Barack Obama's mouth himself. Please donate 6 or $60 to help fund Barack Obama's library in Chicago. Do you realize how sick these people are? In March, CNN reported that the Chicago skyscraper was being looked into as part of the Manhattan District Attorney's investigation into Trump's finances. So they look into, into Trump's finances, and they discover that Trump's overpaid his taxes, and he's overpaid his property taxes in Chicago, and they won't give him his money back. This is a mob. This is a racket. I mean, there's no justice here whatsoever. And that, of course, is contributing to the destruction and annihilation of this country. Justice isn't blind. If you're a Republican or conservative, if the left hates, well, they can do whatever they want to you, even if you're Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. They'll subpoena you. They'll accuse you of inciting an insurrection. They'll do everything they can to destroy your, your life. And even if you have an appellate court, like in this case, Rule 5-0, that you owe Trump money, well, they still step in. It won't do it. There are no moral bounds to the Democratic Party, folks. None whatsoever, and that's why we have to wipe them off for the face of the earth, politically speaking, because this country can't continue like this. All right, this is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. So my wife and I, we had a, we had a wonderful day. What day was it? Monday, Monday. You know, she's in school. Uh, she'll be graduating soon. She'll be a chef. And uh, for a while now, Monday's been the only day that we have to spend together. And it won't go on like this forever. But I love my wife. She's my best friend. And Monday's our day together. And Monday is the day that I try at this particular moment to detach myself from work and from the news and what's happening to this country and just be there present with my wife. And so what we did is we went down uh, into downtown Napa. And we walked around, and we went in some different shops. And one of the shops we went into, we, we saw these, uh, <clears throat> we, we love glassware. Uh, we live in wine country. You know, we enjoy an adult beverage from time to time, whether it's wine or a cocktail. And my wife is just an absolute renaissance woman. She, she, she's a jewelry designer. She's an artist. Uh, she actually worked as a bar t bartender for a while. Now she's going to be a chef. So she's, she's so brilliant, honestly. I have, I have nothing but the absolute respect for my wife. Everyone should be so lucky as me to, to marry someone who is so hardworking and just brilliant. And anyway, we saw these, these crystal glasses in the window, these different types of cocktail glasses, wine glasses. And so it brought us into this, this store, an antique store. And while my wife was looking around at whatever she was looking at, as is the case, I meander and find my own way. And I went to the bookshelves. And I found this, I, I, honestly, it's Providence. I, I picked up these books. You know me. I'm a conservative. I'm here talking about liberty every chance I get to you. And I found these books. It's a series. It's called Essays on Liberty. And there were four of them there, and I bought all of them. 
And I opened up the book in the store and started reading. I thought, unbelievable, because these books were written in the 1950s. And so as a 34-year-old, a millennial, you know, I always ask myself, from a historical perspective, you know, what's happening in this country? Is this unprecedented? Are we the first generation to have to deal with this? And of course, the answer is no. I've known this in terms of going back to the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln and everything, but this one book, the first in this series, Essays on Liberty, was written in 1952. And what it is, is it's this unbelievable, there's a number of different authors in here who write these, these, these essays. And I opened this book, and the first one I read was, the title was The Penalty of Surrender. It's written by a gentleman, I have not looked into him yet, but his name is Leonard E. Reed. And he wrote this in 1952. And one of the, and so what I, what I was astounded by is he talks about compromise. And that's been on my mind about this infrastructure bill, which has nothing to do with infrastructure. Over a trillion dollars and maybe a hundred billion goes to actually roads and so on and so forth, traditional interpretation and definition of infrastructure. And so, of course, it looks like the Republicans are going to surrender here. They're going to compromise with the Democrats to seem like they're bipartisan. They're getting things done. But I just want to read you a little bit about this. You know, this talks about distinctions about when compromise is appropriate and when it's not. And so one, one subheadline of this chat of this essay is physical compromise is possible. And so, you know, he talks about, you know, if you're in marriage and you want harmony— and, you know, he says your wife can de- decrease the noise of the radio to the point where she can still hear it. And you can move to some re- remote corner where you can comprehend Toynbee just as well as anywhere else. Harmony can thus be pres- preserved by compromise. So, of course, that makes sense in that context, right? You got the radio on. You know, in the past, maybe I was listening to Rush Limbaugh. God rest that patriot soul. And my wife is trying to read and she doesn't want to listen to Rush. It's, it's distracting her, so we come to a compromise. I turn down Rush so I can hear him. I sit closer to the radio, and she reads. That's, that's appropriate, acceptable compromise to create harmony. But here's the interesting subheadline: Moral compromise is impossible. And I'm going to look more into Leonard E. Reed because he's a genius. He's brilliant, writing the 1950s about the, the things that are afflicting us today. And he says, How easy it would seem then, finding compromise so useful in such a vast segment of life, to conclude unthoughtfully that it has an equal place, a comparable value, in that phase of life which consciously occupies our thoughts so little. Moral life. But this is precisely the point where I believe many of us are the victims of a confusion of terms. What is compromise in physical affairs, that is, in an adjustment of physical positions, is something entirely different when applied to principles and morality. For example, let us make the reckless assumption that most of us are committed to the biblical injunction, thou shalt not steal. This is a moral principle. The point I want to make, my major point, says, says Leonard, is that this as a principle defies compromising. You either take someone else's property without his consent or you do not. If you steal just a teensy-weensy bit, 
you do not compromise the principle. You abandon it. You surrender your principle. By taking only a little of someone else's property without his consent, as distinguished from taking a lot of someone else's property without his consent, you do compromise in the physical sense. You compromise the physical amount you steal, but the moral principle, whatever the amount of the theft may be, is surrendered and utterly abandoned. And of course, principles can't be compromised on. Morality cannot be compromised on. But that's what the Democrats have done with this, this ridiculous infrastructure bill. I mean, we, we've heard about this for months, folks. The infrastructure bill has been shot down because it was about the Green New Deal. It had nothing to do with infrastructure. And of course, now the price tag's $1.2 trillion or somewhere thereabouts as opposed to $3 trillion. I mean, it doesn't matter what the monetary value assigned to it is. One, we don't have any money, and it's irresponsible, reckless spending. But on top of that, it's still surrendering our liberty. I mean, this bill, upon passing, will help assist in the destruction of our economy as, as it exists and provide taxpayer dollars to the Green New Deal. To solar energy, things that cannot solve our crisis in America today. It will only contribute to inflation, to the weakening of the dollar, and to the surrender of our liberty. And the, the Republicans are going along with it. They're surrendering. But that's not the only moral principle that comes to mind. Because this forced vaccination in New York City... Did you hear the story? I'm sure you did. If you didn't, I'll fill you in. But you haven't heard my commentary on it nonetheless, so stick with me. It's erudite. Do not doubt me. So communist D Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, is now, well, he's encouraging businesses to create, well, to create segregation, renew segregation. That's right. If you want to dine indoors, businesses should be vaccinated only. So if you're not vaccinated, you can't dine indoors. And I don't care what flack I take for this because it's true. Are you ready? The unvaxxed are the new blacks. The new blacks pre-1964, prior to the passage of the Civil Rights Movement of 1964, which made segregation unlawful. But now we've made such progress that now we're just creating segregation based on vaccination status. I was, of course, one of the first to talk about this. I was one of the first, if not the first, to warn about this. So ahead am I of the curve. So ahead am I in my conservatism and thought and understanding of the left. But that's what he's looking to usher in now. And what I, I, I actually have a genuine question to pose to you, my listeners, my audience, you beautiful Americans who love freedom, who are listening to me now. Why, why, why is there this effort underway to force vaccination? Look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but for the life of me, 
It makes no sense. I mean, every day we hear about breakthrough cases despite being vaccinated. We hear that the Delta variant is worse than the original COVID variant. And that the vaccine does not prevent either the contraction of the Delta variant, nor does it prevent passing it on. And yet there's still a push, even though, look, the COVID vaccine, I want it to work. I want it to be successful. I'm not condemning anyone who's gotten the vaccine, but I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, it doesn't seem to be effective or its effect is no longer effective against the new variants. And so why is the federal government, why is Bill de Blasio trying to force the vaccine on Americans, even as science tells us that the vaccine's ineffective against these new strains? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't pass the smell test. There's, of course, no focus on prevention, through taking care of your health, preventative medicine, whether it's different vitamin supplements or hydroxychloroquine and so on and so forth. There's no talk about that. Nor is there talk about remesdivir or these other life-saving treatments. No. I mean, lives can be saved, we know, by treatment and preventative measures. But there's no attention given to this in the media whatsoever. It's all about you can't get COVID. If you get COVID, it's a death sentence, even though we, even though we know there's a 99.5% survival rate. It's a why are they pushing the vaccine? This leads and breeds conspiracy theory. And without falling into some conspiracy theory trap, all I can surmise based on this is that the government wants to beat, destroy, be victorious over the American citizens' will. They want to destroy the American citizens' will. And if that's an individual who doesn't want to be vaccinated, the government is offended by that. They're saying, get vaccinated. You say, I'm not getting vaccinated. They say, well... Resistance is futile. We're going to make your life so miserable. We've heard them say this. We want to make the unvaccinated's lives so hard, so miserable, that they will be forced to get the vaccine. So it's about coercion. They want to make, they want to send the message loud and clear to the American citizen that we, the government, have the right to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, we're going to force you to do it. It's about conquering the American people. If we can force you to get vaccinated, we can force you to get it, to do anything we want. We can, well, in the future, anything the government says is for saving lives, well, you're going to have to do it, whether that means climate change in the future or anything else. But this opens the floodgates, and that's why this is the Civil Rights Act of our time. 
And these businesses that comply, we see it over and over again. More and more businesses, corporations are coming forward and saying, we're requiring vaccination. And if you don't get vaccinated, you can't work here. And this is what they did in the civil rights movement, right? The white business owner. Well, it's lawful to keep, kick blacks out of here. You can't eat here because the government says so. That's what's happening now. Well, the government says you have to be vaccinated. And because the government says that we can prevent you from eating inside because of your unvaccinated status, you can't eat here. What's next? Separate water fountains, separate bathrooms? That's how serious this is. I'm not speaking in hyperbole. That's a fact. Where have all the moral people gone? You business owners who are doing the bidding of segregation, of discrimination, that people like de Blasio are suggesting you do, are amoral, unprincipled individuals who are worthy of hell. I said it. There's a nice place waiting for you down there, by the way. I mean, if the government tomorrow said, hey, we're going to pass a new law, slavery's back in vogue, we're going we're to do slavery again. That would be lawful, would it not? Of course it would. But it would be also amoral. And that's why what we're facing is a moral battle, is good versus evil. And so I can't answer the, why are they forcing vaccinations any clearer than that without getting into conspiracies, which I don't really believe in. It's just about breaking the human spirit and letting the American people know that, well, the Constitution is dead and unalienable rights or inalienable rights no longer exist. Your rights come from us. So you do what we say or you don't have rights. And that's what it really boils down to, folks, I think, to me. But we the people, we outnumber these politicians, these CEOs, these board members, these managers. 10, 20, 100 to 1. 1,000 to 1. And this is the important part. I mean, they can say all day, you have to be vaccinated. You, you know, don't let the unvaccinated in your businesses. Don't do this. Wear a mask. But if we just didn't comply... They would have no power. We are giving them power by accepting this false, unconstitutional belief that they actually have authority to dictate how we live our lives. But they don't. The Constitution's on our side. And that's why I want to speak a message loud and clear that we still are responsible for our fate. We still have the power, but we have to take it back. But taking it back requires a little bit of effort, doesn't it? Not a lot, but just a little. The government needs to be put in its place. All right, I'm going to take another short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about Governor Cuomo. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden's, well, call for him to resign. Where do we think that's going to go, folks? Is he going to resign or will he not? My brilliant analysis when we get back. All right, this is Dural, and we'll be right back. Well, a bit of breaking news here, folks. It apparent, appears that Barack Obama and Michelle Mybell have changed, well, Obama's changed his birthday plans after a backlash. My backlash. No. Um, but here's what it says. After intense backlash, even from liberals, former President Obama has decided to massively scale back his 475-person birthday bash this weekend amid a surge in Delta variant cases. The Obamas had hired 200 individuals to help 
meaning nearly 700 people, would be at his, Martha's Vineyard Mansion for his 60th birthday. So now they're saying that they're going to significantly scale back the event to include only family and close friends. Well, I don't buy it. We'll see how many people show up. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, all these people could be close friends for Barack Obama. All 475 that were previously uh, invited. And honestly, what difference does it make if it's 475 people, 275 people, or 100 people? That's more than we're in the mall when I had to wear a mask. So it doesn't really matter. He'll scale it back. It's the same difference, though. You know, maybe the 700 people that were going to be there, including the help, attracted a little bit additional ire and eyeballs. But it doesn't matter. Donald Trump's Rose Garden ceremony was 200 people. All right? So it doesn't matter. It's the exact same thing. Nothing changes. This is just a typical uh, liberal, pretend, superficial, you know, whatever. An, e an effort to, to change without, act without actually changing. Okay? So this changes nothing. Just thought I'd give you that update. It's important. I like to stay up to date and keep you there as well. So let's move on. Let's talk about Andrew Cuomo, okay? Here, here's how I feel. I'm not all up in arms like so many on our side about Governor Cuomo's, well, formerly alleged, now investigated and proven, harassment, sexual harassment of, of women. I mean, this is deja vu. I mean, several months ago, there were calls. We're having the same conversation. The media was reacting the same way. Republicans and conservatives were saying the same things. Well, Governor Cuomo, 11, 12, 13, however many women have come forward and accused him of sexual harassment. A young girl has come forward and said she was fired because she, you know, threatened to come out and talk about what Cuomo had said or done to her. And then the story died. And now here we are again. Some investigation comes out saying, whoa, this, it, I mean, it's the same story. It's just rehashed again. It's like it's just being brought back from the grave. And now on top of it, Joe Biden has said, well, he thinks that Governor Cuomo should resign. But who listens to Joe Biden? Nobody takes him seriously. And whether Cuomo resigns or not, I don't think he will resign. I think he'll just weather the storm like he's weathered it before. And in a week's time, it'll be just like it was months ago when this happened the last time. He'll weather the storm and move on. But I'm not the first to say this, but it's a point worth making. Usually I strive for original thought and commentary, but sometimes, well, the commentary is what it is. It's overt. It's obvious what the commentary should be. And that's this. He's responsible for the deaths of thousands of elderly individuals, American citizens in New York City and New York, overall the state. He's the governor. Because he sent, he gave the order to send COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. It's like sending someone into a a building with a suicide vest. I mean, the elderly are the most vulnerable in terms of the COVID virus, this 
this virus that affects the respiratory system. I mean, if these people got pneumonia, they'd die, and of course they'd also die if they get COVID, which attacks the lungs. He's responsible for the murder. He has blood on his hands. But there's no outrage or calls for him to resign because of that insane order, death sentence that he gave to these elderly people. No, it's because he acts like Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who sniffs a bunch of young women's hairs and talks about, you know, under 15-year-olds sitting in the audience about how they look like such adult women with their legs crossed like they are in their skirts. I mean, Bill Clinton survived impeachment after getting a BJ in the Oval Office and then lying and saying he didn't do it. I mean, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, he gave orders we know too to hide the evidence about how many people died in nursing homes. That's impeachable. That's why he should be out of here. And yet we're having a conversation about him kissing girls on the lips or saying inappropriate things. I mean, that's typical of politicians. But he's literally killed people. And that doesn't matter. And so I don't think he'll resign. I think he'll weather the storm. We'll move on to something else. But even if he does resign, who cares? Who cares? We have somebody in the White House, Joe Biden, whose son... I mean, Joe Biden lied about Hunter Biden's laptop. Joe Biden lied about his knowledge of Hunter Biden's affairs with Burisma. About getting over a million dollars from the former mayor of Moscow's wife. He lied in a debate and said that wasn't true. It was a lie, and it was true. And now his son is selling art via a dealer who has ties to communist China who wants to be the art dealer wants to be the biggest art dealer to China in the world. And that's who Hunter Biden has chosen to be his art dealer. I mean, this is quid pro quo. This is pay for play. I mean, Joe Biden, you know, I mean, he cancels our own pipeline. And then he makes it possible for the Russians to develop a pipeline. I mean, it's so obvious what's going on here. He's bought and paid for by the Russians, by the Chinese, by our enemies. And he doesn't condemn them, doesn't say anything. The Chinese are threatening to take Taiwan. They're threatening to wipe out and get rid of our airstrips and military established bases near China within striking range. And where's, where's Joe Biden on that? Nowhere to be found. So I don't, I mean, I, I'm not getting caught up in the Andrew Cuomo thing. If he, does get, if he does resign, who cares? He'll be replaced by someone else who's corrupt. I mean, he's a symptom, not the disease. But what I am concerned about is the uh, absolute destru- destruction of our constitutional rights. Um, are you aware that private property rights are now under assault? They don't exist anymore per the CDC? The Centers for Disease and Control in America is now, well, they're putting a moratorium on evictions. So those Americans who actually buy apartment buildings and buy private property, well, they're being told that they will be fined, they will be jailed if they evict 
their renters, those people who are supposed to pay them rent to stay in their buildings. So this is an assault on private property, and private property, of course, is an indispensable asset of freedom, of individual rights, which is Americanism. And so here we have the CDC, which is not elected, which has no authority whatsoever to make laws about private property, about renting laws, now setting the law and telling people that they don't have to pay their rent? Where, what country do we live in? This is not America. And where is the Supreme Court? I mean, this is, this is one, I mean, it gets more outrageous every day. But unfortunately, the American people are so dumbed down, they don't understand the significance of any of this. I mean, I mean, the right to private property, I think, is the, 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 the single most important Well, it's the single most important thing that we have in a society to create free trade, to, to, to encourage freedom to flourish. Karl Marx, the Karl Marx of Marxism. I mean, the abolition of private property, that was at the top of his list of changes to create a communist utopia. I mean, the, the America and the Constitution is about individual rights, and that includes private property. Karl Marx was about, well, communism. We're all one. We don't have private property rights. We all own everything together. It's about this communal mentality. So you can steal from another person, you can take from another person because it doesn't belong to anyone. And so now we have the CDC essentially saying that property doesn't belong to you. These people have a right to, right to your private property. And so that's under attack by the CDC. I mean, we live in a dark age, folks. Literally, it is a dark age. Reason is banned. It's gone. All the knowledge of thousands of years of history is being thrown away and replaced by something that is amoral, that we know doesn't work. We're rejecting the American experiment, replacing it with something filthy, dangerous, that's responsible for tens of millions of deaths via communism and totalitarianism. That's what's happening now. You know, 245, 246 years ago, the founding fathers made the revolutionary claim that, well, our rights are unalienable. Our rights don't come from man. And now, where are we today? Today, it's very clear that our rights apparently come from Joe Biden and the government. And we've got all these wimpy Republicans that seem to be intent on sealing our fate as we stare into totalitarian darkness of ensuring that we, well, fall into totalitarian darkness, signaling they're going to support this infrastructure bill. And who's going to be affected by that? Well, it won't be the rich and the wealthy. Well, they'll be able to take the hit of inflation. You know, if bread costs $10, well, they can still pay for it. I mean, their money won't go as far, but they can take the hit. But the middle class and the lower class and the poor, well, they're going to be screwed. 
They'll have nowhere to turn except where? Ooh, the government. The government that caused the crisis to begin with. And that's the point of all of this. Perpetual war amongst the citizens against the class, class warfare, in which the Democrat Party can claim that even though they caused this crisis and they encourage this type of insane behavior, well, they're going to solve it. They're not going to solve anything, and that's what we need to explain to the American people. But the Republican Party, they are given an opportunity to distinguish themselves and present themselves as the saviors, and they present no clear alternative. They just go along. Look at Christy Nome. You know, she was such a hero for so long during the COVID pandemic because she didn't shut down South Dakota. She seemed to stand firm against the mandates. And now what does she say? As corporations and companies are now doing the bidding of the federal government, requiring vaccines to work there, well, she's saying, well, that's their right. You know, the, the employee can seek out another employer that doesn't require vaccines. That's the beauty of America. Christy Nome has no credibility left. She's a disgrace. I'm so disappointed in her. You know, there's a point, actually, and this is a condemnation of America today to begin with. My wife and I were discussing, maybe we'll look at South Dakota to live, because apparently these days, if you're 34 and young like me, well, you don't base your decisions on where, where you want to live based on the weather anymore or your job. You base it on the freedom that you're going to have based on the governor's stance on America and the Constitution. And Christy Nome seemed like a defender of the Constitution. Well, she is no more. She's a hack. Bought and paid for, I guess, by the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, just like the rest of the rhinos. I don't know what's going on with her. But she's done. I'm done with her. South Dakota, you should probably elect someone else. Find someone to primary her and who's actually going to stand for your liberty, not cave like she does. Now, Christy Nome, if, uh, if every business, by the way, requires vaccines to work there, where will they go? Then, just not work? Are you going to take care of them? Is the government going to pay for their existence? Of course not. Christy Nome is a stupid, stupid woman. I don't care about how she is as a human being. I don't care how kind she is. What she said is just stupid. It reveals that she does not understand anything. And I sit behind this microphone, and uh, I'm free to attack all these people and call them out because it's true. So, Christy, you're a disgrace, and uh, God bless you, but um, I hope you see the light soon and actually grow uh, a backbone because you've lost yours, and you're embarrassing yourself. And not only are you embarrassing yourself, but you are assisting in the annihilation of America. So thank you so much, Governor Nome. But I um, want to bring up a piece here that I wrote the other day because... Uh, well, of course, it's brilliant. Um, but the title of the piece is COVID Killed Sanity. And now I wrote it, so don't worry, I won't read it like a boring person, like a teleprompter, like you're watching the news. But my point of this article is trying to put context, put things into context with regards to COVID versus other things. And my point is that prior to March of 2020, well, Americans seem to accept the inescapable reality of their own mortality, did they not? 
I mean, I know this may sound cynical, but it's also true. Look, do we not begin our march towards death from the moment we emerge from our birthing person's womb? Did I get that right? Is it birthing person? Used to be women. But some never even make it that far. They don't even get the chance to see the light and even begin death because whether they die because of unwanted natural causes or because they die of wanted unnatural abortions, well, they don't make it that far. But then some, of course, go on to live long, healthy lives and they die in their sleep at the ripe old age of 100. Others live just as long and their lives, long lives, are mired in pain. But they live because of the miracle of modern medicine. And other people, you know, I have a, uh, a relative. And after church one day, I think the son, you know, he's a teenager, early teens. He had a friend come over and they have a large property, I don't know, more than 50 acres out in Florida, I believe it is. And they were riding four-wheelers or something along those lines. And the friend who was, well, the friend, he had an accident. And he died as a result of crashing in the four-wheeler. That's a freak accident. COVID didn't kill him. That was an unfair thing that happened to him. I can't explain it. But things happen. Freak accidents, cancer, other unexpected natural causes. We accept them. They're horrible. We mourn, but they happen. Some people neglect their health. And it's their choices that contribute to their premature deaths. Other people, well, they make the same unhealthy choices and they go on to live long lives. That's the luck of the genetic draw. I mean, you have that individual in Hollywood. I forget her name right now. It doesn't matter. She's the one. She's not very funny, but she's a comedian. She's the one who held up Donald Trump's... uh, head, severed head, and thought that was hilarious while Trump was president? Well, she was diagnosed with lung cancer, stage one. I pray for her. I hope she'll be okay. I think she will be. But she says she never smoked in her entire life. Other people smoke forever and never get lung cancer at all. That's the luck of the genetic draw. I mean, death, illness, and injury are the cost of living. Death is not a question of if, it's a matter of when. No matter what, we all go at one time or another. More than 38,000 Americans die on average per year in automobile accidents, for example. And some of those fatalities are the cause of the individual driver and others are the fault of some other driver. I mean, every time we get in our cars, we take a risk. We share the road with, with the careless, with the reckless, with the drunk, but we continue to drive. Now, liberals will say, oh, you can't compare car fatalities to an um, airborne illness like uh, COVID. Yes, I can, because the common denominator is death. We're talking about death. The government seems to be in the business of preventing all death today. But not all death, just COVID-related deaths. But if you want to attack me and say, well, you can't compare cars because they're, it's, it's different. It's not airborne. Well, how about the flu, influenza? That's airborne. 61,000 Americans died of the flu in 2017-2018. Because, you know, the flu season, it doesn't run January to December. It runs towards the end of a year into the next year. And in 2016-2017 and 2019-2020, more than 30,000 perished 
We don't mandate annual flu shots. We don't have vaccines, but we don't man- mandate annual flu shots to protect ourselves or others. Why not? When was the last time the media, I mean, during 2017, 2018, when 61,000 Americans died of the flu, the media didn't run tallies every day of, of numbers of, uh, of infection. I mean, let, let me just put this in context. 2017-2018 flu in which 61,000 Americans died. There were 45 million reported cases. There were 810,000 hospitalizations. This is in the U.S. alone. 21 million Americans went to either urgent care or a hospital seeking care for influenza. 21 million The government did not implement draconian lockdowns. That would have been insane because the flu exists. We accept the risk. People die of the flu. But that was then. Sanity died in March 2020, and that's the point of my piece. And when I think about it, you have B.C. and A.C., not before Christ and after Christ, even though those designations have been removed. Now it's before the common era and after the common era. Well, B.C. is before COVID, before March of 2020. Before then, we made rational, realistic choices to avoid dying. A.C., after COVID, now we make irrational, unrealistic decisions to avoid living. And what once was accepted, death and illness mainly, well, now they're suddenly intolerable. But it's not all death and illness, right? It's only COVID-related deaths and infections and illnesses. It's like death and disease didn't exist prior to March of 2020. I mean, COVID lives matter. That's really what we're talking about. CLM. It gives BLM, Black Lives Matter, a run for its money. But the difference is BLM only, you know, it, it's, it only appeals to brainwashed libs who hate America. Well, CLM, COVID lives matter, well, that appealed to every American, Republicans, conservatives, many of you listening. Who bought into this? Fear. And BLM and CLM, they both profess to be about saving lives, saving black lives, saving COVID lives, but they're both really about destroying lives. They're about fundamentally transforming America. They're about sowing hatred and division. Look at the unvaxxed versus the vaxxed. That's just one example. They say, oh, unvaccinated blacks are the problem. Oh, no, it's unvaccinated Republicans who are the problem. Oh, it's the Trump supporters. But the COVID movement's like a cult in the same way that the uh, man-made climate change movement is a cult as well. I mean, think about this. The climate change cult, they claim we can prevent inclement weather, that we can control the Earth's temperature, that hurricanes, floods, hot weather, cold weather, tornadoes, that's our fault. We can prevent it if we just... I don't know, killed all the cows, stopped them from farting. If our unnatural presence was to cease to exist on this earth, oh, we cause it all. Well, the COVID cult believes the same thing. They believe, they claim we can prevent death and disease, that we can control a virus. It's not just that the attitude's arrogant and naive. The problem is the assumption, right? It shifts blame from nature's course to man's actions, right? Don't blame the weather or the virus. Instead, blame the irresponsible individual. Hurricanes 
aren't the pro- a problem that we have to just live with and accept because they're a natural occurring event. No, no, no. It's our fault. We're causing the hurricanes. And granted, we did create the COVID virus, but it's a respiratory virus. It's COVID-19. It exists. It's like SARS. This one happened to be, you know, a particular strain that came out of, well, gain-of-function research the Fauci helped fund. But it's here to stay. It's naturally occurring. And so we don't blame the virus for doing what the virus does. We blame the irresponsible individual, right? If you just lock down your homes, you know, I mean, look, this is what happened in California. Even as Florida reopened, even as Florida got rid of mandates and their cases went down, well, California doubled down. They continued to lock down. They continued to require mass mandates. They instituted the most draconian lockdowns in this country. You couldn't leave your house between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. You couldn't eat indoors. You couldn't eat outdoors. All the businesses were shut down. And still, as cases rose, what did they say? Well, some people are getting together in their homes. They're acting irresponsibly. (laughs) Do you see the totalitarian prescription in this? So to solve these unpreventable natural occurrences, well... We have to be slaves. We have to give up our individual rights. We have to shred the Constitution. And of course, weather, disease, death, they're not new. But our government's seizure of our freedom and the American citizens, well, it's our willing and eager forfeiture of this most precious gift that we have to prevent such a thing that we can't even prevent to begin with. Well, that's unprecedented. And so here's my question. Think about this. If preventing death itself is now the responsibility of our government, and you and I's role, our role as citizens is to give up our liberty to to save lives as well, why do we drive cars? That's not any more insane a proposal to ban automobiles to save lives than it is to ban social interaction and shut down an economy to prevent the potential risk of infection. And I mean, look, a ban on driving automobiles would guarantee the saving of more than 30,000 American lives a year. Because if you can't drive a car, you can't get in a car wreck. Do you understand? That would guarantee lives saved. That's more than can be said of these draconian lockdowns and the masks. Despite masking, despite locking down, Despite giving up our liberty, well, people still died. And we didn't do this with HIV. It may not be airborne, but it's sexually transmitted. Do you know that HIVs claim the lives of at least 700,000 Americans to date? And when, when HIV was discovered, it was just as frightening, new, and yet to be understood in 1981, as COVID was in March of 2020. But even as we learned about the deadliness, the transmissibility of HIV, we didn't ban sex. We didn't mandate condoms. That's not insane either, based on what we're doing today. I mean, if it saves one life, let's do it. Let's, let's ban, let's mandate condoms. Let's ban sex. I mean, if it saves one life, 
But no, we didn't shut down. We didn't quarantine. We didn't discourage social interaction because it would lead to intimacy. Intimacy leads to sex. Sex leads to HIV cases and death. We didn't shun. I mean, there might have been comments made about the gay community because that's the primary you know, source of its spread. But they weren't disallowed from entering restaurants. They weren't discriminated against. I mean, there were maybe impolite things said about the gay community because of HIV. But they weren't discriminated against. You know, New York didn't say gays aren't allowed in restaurants. That would have been insane. That would have been discriminatory. That would have been amoral. But that was then. Today, sanity's dead. And look, the point is, yeah, it's, it's sad that people died of COVID. But you know what? I've lost two family members just this year to cancer. That's also sad. I've lost people in car wrecks. But I accept those deaths because death happens. It's part of living. But you know what I reject? I reject the death of America. I reject the death of our unalienable rights in the name of saving lives. That's what I reject. I won't have it. And while death is certain, the death of this country is not. It's up to us. And in America, I'll remind you this. It is still better to die free than live as a slave. Now, I want you to remember that. It is better to die free than live as a slave. All right. This is Drew Allen speaking more wisdom in 60 minutes than liberals speak in their entire lives. The millennial, the hammer, the, well, I'm just an overflowing fountain of truth, folks. Thank you for listening, and uh, as we say, until next time.